right, here we go. We're back. It's Jay and Christy today. Hey, Christy, how are you? I'm good, Jay. Um, I don't know when we're ever going to get the the whole band back together. I know the whole the whole trio. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Gang Grow Retain podcast, everyone. Good to good to I I don't know see you again. <laughs> um, good good to be back doing this. We we've had a um, I will just admit a spoggy summer of you know recording, but we're looking to get back on track here is my kids are getting ready to get back to school. Christy, I don't know about yours. We have, but, we, uh, think we have a couple more weeks. We don't go back to school until after Labor Day. Okay. Yeah. You're up North. So that's a, that's a more refined way of doing things. I think <laughs> we, we go back to school a week after next. So oh wow, with, with the week you and I will be in San Francisco. Yep. My kids will be going back to school. So I'm going to miss that, unfortunately, but um, I've got one starting high school, one starting middle school and another one who will be a junior in high school. So <laughs> getting real yeah i mean adrian starting high school this year so um this oh, is a wow. journey for me um weird to think that i have a kid in high school yeah exactly because high school wasn't that long that. ago <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'm like i remember being a cheerleader in high school and that's sad to think that 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 was long enough ago for me to have a smaller human who is now going to high school <laughs> yeah yeah time flies really really fast when like in the after those, you know, first five years of your career, then it's like, and you put kids into the mix, it just zips forward. And then you look back and you're like, holy crap, where did the last 15 years go? I know. Um, scary. So, all right, cool. So today we're going to talk about Christy and I and Jeff on our group text during the week. We always try to plan our our content ideas. And this week we decided we, we were both raving about some books we were reading. Uh, Christy's reading Think Again by Adam Grant, which is an awesome book. And I'm reading At the Table. No, setting the table. Setting I should table. probably know the 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 uh, the title of the book I'm reading. Setting the table by Danny Myers. So Danny Myers, the guy who is the founder of Shake Shack and m- numerous high end restaurants in in New York. He sort of wrote the book on hospitality. So we're going to talk about both of those. We'll see if we can fit them both in today. But we'll start with um, Think Again. And I read this book last year, so I had to go back and refresh myself on it. But I love the book. Um, so you want to sort of give everybody the the Cliff's Notes overview of, of what it's about, and then we can dive into your some of your favorite topics. Yeah, absolutely. So, so far, the book is great. Um, so far, what I mean, the premise that I'm taking away from it is the reframing how you think about approaching debatable topics, right? Um, and not seeing things as so black and white and seeing it as kind of a spectrum of all different possibilities as you're entering conversations with folks and getting them to think differently about certain topics. And so it's been really interesting to, especially because I love an anecdote. And so like, I love stories. They gave great stories about like BlackBerry and NASA and like all these different companies who along their journeys showed honestly failure because of their inability to rethink right and inability to create cultures that created safe places to think differently and so this was really interesting to me because i think in our profession especially and listen as a leader or any professional um thinking differently and not holding your beliefs as you do your values is really important um right things that worked for me a long time ago right and so that was an interesting statement they talked about is that your beliefs and your values are different and your values should stay consistent but your beliefs have to evolve over time and i thought wow okay because what i would have believed to be true 10 years ago something in customer success probably something that worked for me 10 years ago as a leader i'm probably inclined to say no we're going to do it that way because it works but that was 10 years ago if I'm not evolving my thought process around that to still drive a similar outcome of, of progress and growth, I'm probably not doing it the right way. So for me, I thought it was just really interesting to, to reframe 
or rethink how I think about my thought process. Yeah, that's cool. And, and part of it is changing other people's, you know, helping other people see things, things differently, but it's yeah. also changing the way you think and having the humility to be able to do that. I, I, um, I like to say that being able to change your mind is a leadership superpower to, to take in new information, assess it and say, maybe I was thinking about this wrong. It actually is a really important skill set. So I'll put you on the spot. Is there an area that you've had recently where you've had to rethink something that you can think of? Probably like every single thing, every single day. Um, you know, I think some one of the things that probably come up the most is, you know, probably some of our process that we've got here in terms of how we have designed our customer lifecycle. Mm-hmm. Like I said, a lot of what I've done in the past has worked really well for me and worked well for the organizations I've been at, but there is this evolution, right? Our customers need and want things differently and it needs to be slightly less prescriptive and more flexible and designed in a way that's going to help them get what they need when they need it. Um, As opposed to us driving something that feels more formulated for us, even though it's through the lens of them, but really it's about us moving our business forward. And so Mm -hmm. I've actually spent a lot of time rethinking our entire life cycle and the things that we do and why we do them. And are they help? Are they really helping or hindering our ability to drive these outcomes with our customers? And so that's been a big area of focus for me is kind of going back to the beginning of our customer life cycle and really, really doing some due diligence and going back and gut checking, like, is what we're doing here working, but instead of just doing it by myself, right. And having that moment of like debate with me, um, actually going back to my team and also our customers. And so it's been really interesting to hear from my CSM's perspective, what they feel like is really effective based off what we design and what we should continue with, what we need to modify, um, what we need to introduce that we hadn't previously, but then also hearing from our customers. Now we'll say the good news is 80% of what we're doing is probably spot on. Um, But there is 20% of things that we need to modify and adjust. And I've loved learning that, but had I had not been humble enough to realize that we needed to revisit, uh, I don't think that we'd be on a track that we are to go and improve. That's really good. And, you know, as we progress in our careers as leaders, I think the, the, technical skills and abilities that got us to the point where we could become a leader or a manager in the official sense, they get dated. Right. And so, but your, your value as a leader doesn't live in, in that space. It doesn't live in the the skills that got you there. Right. Like I used to be a, a software developer, right. I, I still, I, I like to think I still know how to program SQL and, and write database queries and, you know, build web pages. I'm, Maybe you could figure out how to do that stuff again if I really wanted to, which I don't, to be clear. <laughs> but, you know, my first leadership roles were over teams that did that kind of work, right? My first management roles. Yeah. And, but I mean, clearly that stuff dates itself very, very quickly, like new techniques, new t- technologies, platforms. Same with the way we engage with people, right? There are some, I like the way you, you, um, you separated values and beliefs, right? Because values are those core things that define who you are as a person, right? Yeah. Or what your philosophy is as a leader or as a customer success practitioner, like integrity or, you know, valuing the customer, valuing your team, all those things. But beliefs are have more to do with our technical knowledge and what's right and wrong in the yeah. day and in the moment. Um, I uh, recently took over our sales team for, took over, that was a really strong 
comment, strong, strong phrase, <laughs> but, but I, I now run our, our sales team for one yeah. of our business units. And, um, and I thought I knew a lot about sales marketing as I was stepping into this role. And what I've realized over the past quarter is that, man, I have a lot to learn <laughs> and I've had to calibrate myself and, and sort of take a step back and, and open myself up to be a facilitator more than someone who has the hard knowledge. Cause I just don't. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm learning every day. So the other, the other part of this book that I, I went through my notes and, and pull a couple things out. Uh, they talk a, a, a good bit about relationship conflict versus. I was just conflict. literally on my notes here. I'm like, conflict is good. And then I have my notes there. So yeah, let's talk about together. So tell me about it. Tell me about relationship versus tax. tax yeah, so they, well, first of all, they frame it as conflict is good. Right. And so yeah. probably just as somebody who doesn't love conflict, um, it was good for me to hear that good, that the conflict is good. They talked about it through the lens of like high performing teams actually experience a high amount of task conflict, okay. which is different than relationship contact, uh, conflict, which conflict. They, they separate yep. the two out, right? So you've got task conflict and relationship conflict and relationship conflict is very emotional, right? And so they talked about it um, in the sense that they said, Conflict was often about like the best way to move forward. Like it, teams that had conflict, they move forward and progress the best and had highest performing teams. Um, but they had to like each other, right? So teams that actually had yeah. strong relationships had high task conflict, which made them more better performers because they felt safe and they trusted the folks they were working with, they challenged each other's ideas, which made them all more progressive in their thoughts and, and um, honestly drove more impact. And then what they said is that teams that didn't have high task conflict had a higher relationship contact conflict. Uh. So people didn't get along with each other, like teams didn't like each other. And because they didn't feel safe, because they didn't like each other, they didn't question anything. And there was less conflict about the tasks at hand. So they continue to do what they've always done. Yep. Opposed to being more progressive and honestly seeing a better outcome as a result. It's it's so good. And you can you can see it happening. In I, your, I mean, in I've seen own. it myself. I don't know, Jay, if you've seen yeah. that. Oh, yeah. yeah. There are people where I've not gotten along with as well, right? Maybe not the strongest relationships. And yes, to avoid more conflict, I probably didn't question it as much as I could have or should have. And as a result, we probably didn't progress together. Yeah, I've had some of those experiences recently. It's really interesting the timing on this. We had an executive team offsite a few weeks back and we actually did a um I don't even know what the name of it is, but we did a an assessment of okay. conflict styles. Oh, okay. Um and and how we work together as a leadership team and see so it's like any of these other assessments you do so, mm-hmm. sort of like a personality assessment, yeah. but it, as you fill this assessment out, you you sort of get placed into, and this is your propensity, right? It's not actually what your behavior is from day yeah. to day. You have to be careful with these things because it, you could read too much into them. But um, it, they talk about focus on goals or task, right? In another said another way, and then relationship. And there's a there's a matrix. And basically, if you have a high focus on the relationship and the goals, you're in the cooperating quadrant. Okay, if you have a high focus on goals and low focus on relationship, you're in the directing quadrant. And we, we exercise these things all day, every day in yeah. different ways, right? If you're low relationship and low task conflict, then you're in the avoiding quadrant. And by the way, that's not bad. Some yeah. things you should avoid. Think about picking your battles, yeah. which is something I have to be conscious of. And then 
when you're totally focused on the relationship, but not the task, then you're in this harmonizing category, which again is useful from time to time, but you don't want to spend all your time in that category. So this framework is really cool. And it's, it's timely because now that I'm looking at it, it's the same thing, high focus or focus on task or focus on goals and then focus on relationship. If you've got broken relationships, you tend to avoid solving problems in tasks, which is why teams do team building activities. They always, you know, everybody cringes and they, they feel, you know, whatever you feel about doing a team activity, but that is the foundation, right? That is the the cultural foundation of problem solving and being able to put something out on the table and have a healthy debate about it and get to maybe a better answer than you would have had otherwise. So anyway, the the timing on this is really good. I, I like this framework and I think it actually relates more to uh, think again than I thought. Yeah. Like I said, that one was something that stood out to me just because I don't love, I mean, I guess I can appreciate good, healthy conflict, but I guess this goes back to relationships, right? Where I have strong, good relationships, I don't mind conflict, but where I don't have as strong a relationship where I have weaker relationships, definitely probably fall more into avoidance. So it was just interesting to see it play out as I thought about it in my day-to-day interactions with other folks. Yeah. In customer success, I mean, let's face it. If you're a CS leader or a chief customer officer, there's a ton you have to do through influence, right? To bring it back to our audience and, and the people who listen to this customer success leaders, like how does, how does it play out day to day in a customer success leaders world? Because they have to influence product and they have to go influence and interface with engineering and, you know, sales market, all these different dependencies, customer success is literally right at the center of it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a really key thing to understand as a CS leader that this is, you know, this is the way we live our lives naturally and the things we have to look out for. Yep. All right. So Jay, something else that came up in the book, and you'll probably remember this with this prompt, but they talked about the art of persuasion and how it used to be thought of as the ability to provide more evidence than the other person that you were right and they were wrong. Mm-hmm. They actually said that three, that the best negotiators actually do three things. One, they find common ground with the other person. So find things that you can agree on. They achieve more with fewer arguments. And this I thought was really interesting, right? Because you always want to have so many things that say, well, I'm right because of this and this and this and this and this. And what they actually said is don't pile on as many arguments because the weaker ones will dilute the value. Mm -hmm. And somebody who's arguing with you will anchor on those, discredit the weak ones, which makes your entire case seem weaker. And I was like, wow. Powerful. They said, instead, find one, two really strong arguments and just focus on those things that can't be contested as much. And the third thing that they said is behavior, behave like scientists. And that was a theme throughout the entire book is a scientist mindset. Um, We're expressing curiosity and asking thoughtful questions throughout a debate will actually help you. And they said the best negotiators end 20% of their comments with a question, which I thought was a really interesting statistic. So instead of making a statement, they were asking questions. Yep. That's a, that's a theme over the past couple of years in almost every leadership book that I've read, all the coaching that I've received from various people has all been around this theme of almost like the Socratic method of, of questioning versus imperative statements. And that, I mean, that, that goes against the grain for me naturally. So I really have to work at that, but it's, it's interesting that it showed up in the book the same way. The, um, the scientific approach Hey, also talk about the preacher, the prosecutor, and the politician. Those mm-hmm. are the three. Those are the three sort of hats that we wear yep. when we're not in 
the mode of asking questions and we're trying to confirm confirm our our biases. So the preacher protects and promotes ideals when they believe their when they believe their values are in jeopardy. The prosecutor proves the case when they see the flaws in other people's thinking to your point about fewer arguments, right? And then the politician lobbies seeking to win the 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 vote of the audience basically. So um yeah, those are things we got <laughs> we need to avoid. And at times they may be, you, you can't debate everything. So the other thing about this, um, this conflict study we had, I, I fell into the cooperating quadrant and I thought, oh, that's great. I'm a good cooperator. But then you, there's always a benefit and a drawback yeah. of, of everything, right? And they said, you know, think about the time and effort it takes to have the conversations about everything. You can't do that with everything. You can't, sometimes you need to just go and direct on something. Sometimes you need to avoid something altogether because it's not the right time. Because if you spend all your time working on things, you never operate your business essentially. So, so many facets to it. Yeah. And say the the last thing, oh my God, there were so many good things that I'm kind of like looking through my notes here. Um, just that hum- adopt- adopting a humble attitude towards knowledge, but like creating a safe culture to do that. Um, one of the last kind of stories, maybe not the last one they gave was around the 2003 at NASA. Like there was a space shuttle that kind of went up, right? Piece of foam fell off. They used the story and everybody on the way back to earth, it the, basically it combusted and all people yeah. on the side. Columbia, right? right? Yep. And so they basically said that the entire team at NASA was like, no, like we, we did everything right. Like it's not a big deal. Like the foam falling wasn't an issue because they had this culture of performance over this culture of learning. And because they were so focused on just their output and input and impact, there was no room to rethink. Right. So they has it as a team, there was no questioning what we did, right? Like we did everything to be efficient and perfect and we did what we did and it's not a big deal and like kind of moving on but if they had taken the time to rethink that it could have actually prevented and saved lives but they didn't have a culture that created that now sometimes rethinking slows things down but to accelerate growth in the long term so i just thought that that was an interesting story yeah. and kind of made me think about sometimes especially in startups right we move so, so fast and we're so focused on performance for a multitude of reasons that we even though we want to embrace a culture of rethinking and questioning a safe place to fail, sometimes our actions probably don't lead that way. Yeah. And I think the other thing that happens with startups, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, you, we tend to be overly dependent on whatever data we have, which, which sounds counterintuitive, right? But in our data, we trust. And if, if there's anecdotes or qualitative information that might indicate something else, we tend to sort of push that away because our data says we're good. So we're good. But meanwhile, the market's shifting, we're getting signals where, you know, so we have to be very careful of that, that kind of um, bias toward data, even yeah. right. Question it at the right time and have the, have the conversations. So all right. Great, great book. Any, anything else you want to hit on this one? No, I mean, I think we we touched on a lot of things. I mean, they talked about motivational interviewing, which I thought was really interesting. The ability yep. to persuade somebody by just 
asking them questions and actually almost having them open up their fears and their thoughts and their beliefs about why they think a certain way almost introduces the ability to persuade them to think differently. Uh, so they talked about that, like that, that concept of motivational interviewing, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, overall, I thought it was a great book. It gave me a lot to think about. I mean, again, going back to the title, very cute. Um, it did, <laughs> it did force me to think again and rethink how I, I, I have been managing my team and, and managing our process and working with, with my cross-functional peers and just like everything, which is good because I feel like right. I haven't probably paused to rethink a lot. Yep. Very good. Okay. That, that's a great, great book. Um, and I probably need to read it again, but I enjoyed going back into the summary since you brought it up. So thank you for doing that. All right. Um, you want to switch to setting the table? So yeah, now let's go. So you, I have you, the book. It's yeah, on my bookshelf. I have a signed copy thanks to our dear friends at Catalyst. So Edward and Kevin actually uh, got two through, oh my God, actually pre-pandemic, um, which is like, what, like a decade ago, we had actually uh, done an event together and they had invited me out and we had what we had dinner at one of Danny Meyer's restaurants in Manhattan. And they had a signed copy of the book for everybody who has attended. So I do have a signed copy from Danny Meyer's dressed to me on my bookshelf, but I have not read it yet. So that's awesome. Well, I, you got to pick it up because it's a ostensibly it's about restaurant, you know, entrepreneurship. Well, listen, I can, but, I can man. welcome happily a different topic outside of customer success into my uh, reading repertoire right now. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, I think we have to diversify what yes. we take in. Right. But so, so good. And, and talks a lot about his, his big thing and the big differentiator for his company and in every restaurant he starts, whether it's Shake Shack or their bar, they have a barbecue. Have you ever eaten a blue smoke? Their barbecue? No, I've not. Place? I don't know if we have any here in New York. I think, I think you do somewhere. It's a, it is a, it started in New York. Oh, well, if it's Manhattan, then pro I've probably not been there. Cause I'm okay. in a very long time. And then, yeah, there, they have one called the modern. It's basically the, the dining. I, that's where we actually, I think that's where we ate was the modern. Okay. Yeah. Which is at the museum of modern art. It's, it's the dining experience there, which is a huge undertaking for them. Um, so one of the big things he talks about is, is having a clear distinction between service and hospitality and not confusing the two, by the way, I mean, this thing is, this book is chocked full of leadership, uh, content, um, for managers, how, how he thinks about, you know, management philosophy, leadership philosophy, how they, how they focus on the people. So we might get into some of that, but the, one of the key concepts is, is knowing what the difference between service and hospitality is. They, they have an, an ideal or this sort of concept called the 51 percenters where they're looking for people to staff their restaurants who are 51% hospitality and 49% technical service delivery. So think about what we do, right? Um, implementation calls, sales demos, um, training sessions for customers, new product releases, support cases. That's all service delivery and you yeah. have to be good at it. You can't not do those things well and graciously. Um, but what he says about hospitality is that it's the sum of all the thoughtful, caring, gracious things we do to make the customer feel we're on their side when they're dining with us or when they're working with us. And that's the defining characteristic of all of their businesses, all of their, all of their restaurants. And it, it just got me thinking, you know, I think sometimes we conflate service and hospitality as one thing, right? You, you, it's the way you deliver service, which is true, but what are the little things that, that 
you can do as a business to make the customer feel like you're on their side, you're, you're fighting their battles. And yet you're, you're being clear and, um, open with the customer about the situation that you're in. Um, so that, that I, I like that distinction between the things you just have to be good at. And then the layer on top of that. And I would say, you know, we all should start with service because if you do have poor service, like the hospitality is not really going to be that helpful, right? It's going to be very empathetic, but it's going to be sort of hollow because you can't deliver on what your, essentially your brand promise is at that point. So did you see, did you sort of experience that? If you can recall from your, from your experience dining, I mean, modern. Yes. From, well, so actually I didn't at the modern, but there was, that wasn't the restaurant that we had dined at together with the catalyst team. So I'm trying to remember okay. what restaurant that was. I've had dinner at the modern several times, but separate. Um, yes. Uh, I think, you know, they do a great job of creating it as you mentioned, right? Like it's a dining experience. It's not like going to your local Applebee's or TJIF or whatever and walking in and like, someone throwing a plastic menu at you and maybe a sticky table and, and a seat and just getting your food to you fast and shoving you out the door. Everything is, is with thought and care from how you were addressed and greeted when you first walked in to how you were even brought and kind of ushered to your table, to the experience of sitting and how you're handed menus and, and who, and the order of which, and being addressed and the timeliness of even when they came to see where, where we were in our meal, what our feedback was, right? Like even to the sense that like, I remember our waiter standing back. Have you, and I know you've had this where a waiter comes and asks you how the food is literally as you've taken a bite of food. And so then you're looking up at them with the full mouth of food and you can't respond. Literally the waiter was behind us and didn't approach until everyone had a clear mat, like wasn't in the middle of chewing. There you go. Yeah. Like that is thought, right? Like I can never respond to the full mouth and then you get sauce or whatever all over your face. It was like intentional, right? Everything felt super intentional around creating to your point that experience for us. So yeah, that's a really, really good example. He, he also it's mentioned, silly. it's like a little thing, but we can all relate to that. But it's the difference between service and hospitality, right? There's another example of, you know, he talked about making his rounds as a manager, you know, managers often visit the tables. Your hair looks great, by the way. Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> and, um, you know, waiting for the right time or, trying to decide if it was an appropriate thing to approach the table or not, right? Like if it's a couple and they're intently staring into each other's eyes, having a, an intense conversation, don't go check the box and stop by the table, right? Now's not the time (laughs) to interrupt. aware. Yeah, exactly. Now's not the time to interrupt. And, but again, the difference between service and hospitality service would say, Hey, as a manager, I'm going to go check on every table. I'm going to check that box for every single table. Who cares whether it's, the hospitable thing to do at that moment in time, right? That's that's the difference between service and hospitality. All right, let me tell you a fun little story. So this was not a dining experience I had, but one that my husband, Anthony, had had. He went to a restaurant and what the restaurant would do is they find out if like, you know, when they host, they, they greet you at the table, is this your first time dining with us? Would always be a question they'd ask. And if it was, they would give you a different color napkin at your table. So oh the master, your maitre d' as they were coming around knew that this was your first dining experience with them. And- would ensure that it was perfect, right? Like if they didn't get anything wrong, the speed, the, the everything. And then at the end, they'd come back and offer you a discount. Like they'd ask you, how was your dining experience? How was the food? How was everything? We'd love to send to you this like discount for next time you come back. And then it would be, is this your second time? Oh, I've, yes, we've dined here before, right? Until you built this community of regulars. And that was noted by a different color. And then those 
individuals oh. were treated differently because they were regulars. So yeah. I was like something so silly as the napkin sent an indicator to the entire staff and everybody who worked there to deliver a, a unique experience for each of those tables. I'm like, why doesn't every restaurant? Well, do that? <laughs> let's talk about why that's so important, especially that first time diner. What is it? It's onboarding them to the experience. Correct. Right? And, and why is that so important? Um, one of our friends talks about this all the time. Oh my gosh, his name's slipping my mind. Ed Powers. Oh. Um, Ed talks about it because he's a psychology nerd. Sorry, Ed. <laughs> I, I think he would embrace that title. He would embrace it. Yeah. But it's confirmation bias. If you can make that first experience absolutely brilliant, then that's the experience that the customer will expect beyond that. Right. Every, every time they'll be looking for that opportunity. It comes back to think again too, yeah. but they'll be looking for that opportunity to say, okay, they're doing things right. Or they're doing things, something went wrong here, but I know, but I know with the experience, I'll, I can't I'll ignore that piece again. of data because I'm going to exactly. confirm what I think I know, which is these people are super hospitable. And by the way, onboarding, it, it really starts in the sales process. So it's critical that we get that relationship, that conversation, right. At the sales team level, as opposed to waiting for the onboarding team, because the onboarding team is just going to be confirmation of whatever the experience was in the sales process or even upfront marketing process. So. Yeah. Super, I, lo I love cool. that. Um, because I just thought, wow, okay. What is What an interesting yeah. concept to drive such a unique experience. And then think about it, like your repeat people that come back all the time, knowing what they drink, knowing what they like, knowing yeah, what yeah. They recommend. Yep. He, uh, he, he has another concept in this book. It's full of little nuggets that I've been just, people, if you read this book, you'll, you'll grasp on all this stuff. It's great. ABCD always be connecting the dots. And so these little nuggets of information, whether, you know, somebody's, um, a first time in the restaurant or whether they're traveling from out of town to be there, or, you know, whether they've been to another one of their properties before, and they're trying this one for the first time, like all those little things just give you information in, in the same kind of things. This is where, you know, we talk a lot about to bring it back to customer success. We talk a lot about QBRs and executive relationships and high and wide relationships and having a good relationship with your stakeholder. But it's really what you do with the information that you learn. That's so important, right? That you can sort of play off to build the relationship long-term, always be connecting the dots, always be paying attention to the things that people are saying. If they're talking about tight budgets and possibilities of layoffs, then that's a dot. Just how does that impact your relationship? How can you bring that back into the discussion at the right time or with the right person to, you know, have a deeper conversation about that and understand how it's impacting your relationship? So, so many aspects of this, I think, translate directly, even though it's a little bit of a leap to get there, but not, not that big of a leap. I love that. Um, You've motivated me to perhaps repick the book up and, and, and raise it to the top of my pile. Well, I wouldn't pick it up. I would download it to your audible account and listen. Okay. To it. All right. Fine. That's there also. Um, speaking of like being useful with our times, let's, let's do a little plug for this app that I recently came across and it's not new by any means, but I think could be helpful. Um, ran across the app Blinkist. Are you familiar with it? A little bit. I've, I've okay. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So what Blinkist is, or at least in my initial experience with it is basically like a modern day cliff notes for books. And it provides you with 15 minutes is like what they're able to summarize each of these books in 15 minute clips that are broken down into what they call blinks. Um, and each blink is probably about two minutes, two, three minutes each uh, varying. And at the end, they provide you with the summary. 
but you're able to get a whole bunch of books and learn kind of to the big takeaways from them in 15 minutes, which I I'm sure like you, Jay, like we don't all have tons of free time, but I want to consume as much as possible. And I don't know about you, but like, I feel like at some period of time, reading was like something I was prioritizing and doing all the time every day. And then kind of fell off a little bit just with competing priorities and life. And so I'm trying to figure out the best ways to bring more books back into my regular routine. And I thought, wow, okay, I can give 15 minutes of my attention and learn something new from these books that like the ones that maybe haven't made it to the top of my list. that I really, really want to read every word cover to cover, but where I want to, I know that there's good value and takeaways there. Maybe it was recommended. That felt like yep. a really great way to just get those books in small doses. That's cool. By the way, we don't get paid for these kind of endorsements. We just oh, yeah. actually, yeah. actually like that kind of stuff. So I think um, what I found over the years by reading a bunch, bunch, bunch of business books is that they're all probably a little bit longer than they need to be. I've heard it say, you know, most business books could be a good blog post. Most blog posts could be a tweet, right? And I think, so this does a good job of distilling things down just so you get the concept in your head. And if you really hook to it, you can go, you can go research it further, right? And maybe to your point, go read the book at that point. Um, What I've been doing in contrast is listening. I listen to the books on Audible. And what I did with this one, which I haven't done a good job of in the past, is there's a little feature in Audible and the app where you can click clip when you hear something. Ooh. And it basically grabs the last 30 seconds or so of the of the thing, of the book. And then you can make notes associated with it. So I did that for the first time. I think, I mean, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's a pretty pedestrian capability of the app, but I have tons of notes in here. I, I think there's so much more that Audible could do with this kind of thing, like sharing and make it collaborative and sort of community driven around people who yeah. have read these books. Jeff brought this up the other day around Kindles, same, same issue. Um, but it, it's really, it's really helpful. So I literally, I listen to my books on my walk every morning and then I'll, when I hear something, I'm like, damn, that was good. And I pause it or I hit clip, I pause it. And then I just type up my thoughts on it. So I know what it was that I clipped. So another little technique that people might like to try. I, love that. I used to feel like there was a, there was no replacement for reading a book and holding a book. And I have uh, quickly shifted oh. my opinion, my beliefs around that. <laughs> you thought again, that's good. I did. I did. The um, yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say there, but yeah, no, that that's good. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I've done differently in reading this year is in even like starting with this book, I've, I've tried to just slow down a little bit and go a little bit deeper. If I like the book, spend more time with it, spend more time reflecting on the, on the ideas that I heard uh, in the book and figuring out how they apply to me. I think sometimes, you know, we're all many of us, not all we're our type A's overachievers. And I like to be able to brag about how many books I've read, right? I don't know why I get value from that. That's something I got to work on personally, but it's not really important, right? The important thing is, have you been able to internalize all like, some of these books like think again and setting the table have so much richness in them that if you just maybe make those your quarterly focus, right. And then go deep, do research to sort of learn more and then it sticks better. Learn more, but then also apply it. Right. Yeah. Right. How many things do we take away? Like, I mean, listen, this book, like I said, I just took my notes for today's conversation. I had 12 meaty bullet points and like pages worth of scrolling notes. Um, but for me, like, yes, that's helpful. And it's exposed me to new ideas and, and new thinking, but it's only valuable if I take now what I've learned and I apply it. Right. And that's so right. If you're point of this right. is a quarterly go deeper thing. Well, also like 
picking apart these books and trying to apply pieces of it bit by bit over time till it becomes routine and you're evolving as a leader, as a professional. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that also. And as you grow as a leader, you want to have your own frameworks for the way, if it's customer success, the way you deliver, if it's sales, the way that you execute a sales team, right? If it's just pure leadership, your management philosophies, right? That that sort of guide your, your thinking day to day. And you want to be able to write those frameworks down and share them with people so that as you go into a new job or you take on a new role, people understand how you operate and what your expectations are. And you can pull this stuff from all the, you know, the sum of the the pieces that that you collect from, from this content. So I think we're, you know, we're talking about motherhood and apple pie here a little bit too, but I mean, these are, this is interesting, interesting stuff. It's about how we learn. It's about how we grow. It's a growth mindset kind of yeah. thing. Can, can I share one more concept out of this book and then we'll wrap yeah, it up? Can. His, his whole thing, Danny Meyer's whole, uh, shtick, if you will, is around this thing called enlightened hospitality and in enlightened hospitality, he prioritizes different stakeholders in his businesses, according to the following list. So number one is employees. Number two is his guests and his customers. So interesting already, right? Number three is community. So all of his restaurants are part of some part of the community, many of them in the New York city area, Mm -hmm. Gramercy park, union square tavern, maybe, um, uh, Gramercy. I don't, I don't know if I got the names of them, right. But Gramercy something, Mm -hmm. um, Below community, and they've done a lot of investment in the community to help revitalize areas of Manhattan and that kind of thing, which is part of how they they envision themselves as part of a larger good, right? Mm-hmm. Their suppliers, keeping close alignment with their suppliers and, and partners, and then their investors. Of course, they're they're on the list, but they're last, right? Because if you do all these other things well, then the outcome for the investor is going to be really, really positive. Now they're a privately held company, right? Mm-hmm. They're also not venture capital backed necessarily, right? It's probably more like private equity if, if you had to think about it. Um, but a lot of it's individuals who support the business. But the, going back to the top of the list, employees first, then guests, their whole philosophy is if your team members are actively looking out for one another, going to bat for one another and supporting each other, that is going to show up in the hospitality and the service that you show your guests, your customers. Right. And so if if I can see Christy is struggling with something over in her part of the org, how can I step up and step in to to support and help her so that we can get better as a business, as a whole? So that's why he puts um, employees, his team members first in terms of that, that uh, sort of that stratification of, of stakeholders in the business. So how does that land on you? I mean, I I wrote it down because it makes the most sense. And listen, I think it's also this concept that you hear a lot of people kind of chirping about, right? Employee success equals customer success. Well, I think all of those things kind of work to power the next thing, right? Your employees and your customers, the community, suppliers, investors. So that kind of just made a ton of sense if that's your priority. I think sometimes it's hard in software companies. Sometimes you end up flipped, right? You end well, up the prob- investors. I, but this kind of, you know, I guess it's pressure, um, but then also I think you have the leader's ability to kind of manage that. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But I think that's why, right. Like it's, it's very easy to succumb to the pressure and needing to make your investors happy. But if you take a step right. back and think about the inverse, right. Like that's actually how you're going to get there. Yeah, exactly. And it's a long game. Sometimes I'll leave, I'll leave us with one quote here 
from, from this concept. When each member of the team goes to bat for the others, the mutual trust and respect engendered among them creates an infectious environment of caring for our guests. I just I think that's that. really, really cool. So anyway, I, I couldn't uh, recommend this book more. I've got a whole bunch of other stuff. I'll probably write a few LinkedIn posts about some of this stuff, um, but would highly recommend it. Well, now that I took a a full couple pages of notes for this conversation, you know, I have to repurpose this for LinkedIn at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to. (laughs) That's great. All right. Awesome. Well, we're over time. Why don't we wrap it up? But if you're listening and you haven't given us a rating, Gangway Retain podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd love for you to do that. If you, I think on all these platforms now, there's a little icon. I know there is in Spotify, a little bell that you can hit and you'll be notified whenever we release a new episode. But we uh, we love doing this. We will we will be getting more consistent here as we enter the fall. Um, yeah, summer, summer's a rough time, right? There's there's vacation and travel and all this stuff and Jeff's having babies. Jeff's having babies. Yeah. Like, come on, let's get it together. <laughs> But no, we're 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 excited to get back in our rhythm here and um really appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen and participate and give us feedback on this. And so we we welcome it. So anything else? No, I think this was great. All right. Well, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good. Maybe we'll get Jeff back. We gotta get Jeff back. We gotta get Jeff back. Yes, we'll work on that this week. We'll we'll, we'll, right, we'll give him some hell in the uh, in the group chat now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. We'll talk soon. All right, bye. bye. Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.